That song we sang together about, let me tell you about my Jesus. Are you just singing that in here or are you doing it out there? Just wondering. Let me ask you this morning, what, what's uh, driving your life right now? What, what motivates you? What are you chasing these days? Because, man, there's all kinds of things to chase today. I mean, some people are chasing money. I got a couple of buddies. Man, it's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's getting more money, keeping what they got, making it grow. Some people are chasing ambition. Uh, I know people who are so performance-driven, they can't enjoy what they're doing right now, trying to get better at it, you know? Some people are chasing security. Some people are driven by ego or fear, all kinds of things to chase. What's, your, what's driving your life right now? I want you to think about that for a minute, and we'll get back to that. I want to talk about something else. Um, one of the greatest and most evil empires ever on the planet Earth was the Babylonian Empire. And you can read about it in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel. Uh, it, it was one of those cases where Israel, God's people, were moving away from him, and they got so far away from him, they had to drop the anvil on him. That's what God does. That's what scares me about what's going on with his nation right now. But anyway, as in all deportations, God's people weren't spared. They all went. So Daniel got deported to Babylon, and he talks about it in the book of Daniel. But if you read that in the book of Daniel or in history, you'll notice that one of the most dangerous things about being deported like that is what's called a danger of friendly captivity. And here's what that means. It it didn't take long until the Israelites so assimilated to their captors, the Babylonians, that pretty soon you couldn't tell the difference between an Israelite and a Babylonian. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Now the Babylonians were all about me, mine, and more. They were all about extravagance. They were all about doing whatever they wanted to do, anytime they wanted to do it. There was no absolute truth. You couldn't affirm anything. You couldn't talk about anything. You, you had to be all right with however anybody wanted to live. No consequences. And it didn't work. It never works. They could never get enough. Always going after more, something different. And there was no God in their life ever. And I just want to remind you this morning that we right now in this country are living in the Babylonian philosophy. We're in it. And it's never been harder to be a Christian in my lifetime than right now to be in this mess and not become so assimilated to it that you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Okay, that's enough of the pre-box or pre-soapbox sermon. I want to go back to the question I started with. What's driving you these days? What's your mission? I guess maybe even a better question would be, what's driving the church? Because we know what drove Jesus and his disciples. They were all about leading people into the kingdom of God, and they wanted to do it through community. They got together, they challenged each other, they rooted each other on when things were going good, and listen, they admonished one another when they were doing wrong. We're not very good at that these days. But they were clear what their mission was. I want to remind us this morning of the mission of Jesus Christ, because we can't remind ourselves enough that that's our mission too. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, you remember that passage of Scripture? It's packed and loaded, of course, but what you see immediately is the mission of Jesus. In fact, that's point number one this morning. Jesus' life and his mission was driven by love, period, love for people. Everywhere Jesus went when he was on the planet, he saw pain and tragedy and problems with people, and every time he saw it, he acted on it. One of my favorite scriptures ever is in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, and uh, it's when Jesus came upon a bunch of lepers, uh, people that nobody would have anything to do with. I mean, are you kidding me? You don't touch a leper. And, And you remember what happened. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. He was covered with it. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. He begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Just like that. But we've talked about this so many times. The reason why this is such a fascinating scripture to me is you just answer, ask the question, did Jesus touch this guy before he healed him or after he healed him? Yeah, before. Who touches a leprous man like that? I mean, seriously. Jesus. Jesus does. He's loved people. That was his mission. Just a few verses later in chapter 17, he he ran into this paralytic guy who was desperate to see Jesus, but he couldn't because the house was full. So his roof-crashing friends dug a hole in the roof, lowered him in front of Jesus. Jesus healed him on the spot. A few chapters later, it was a blind guy. A few chapters later, it was a sick person, and then a dead person. I I mean, the point is, over and over and over again, we read about his mission, his drive. It was all about people, loving people, especially people who didn't have the money or medical care. He took care of them, especially parents who brought their desperate children to see him. He he took care of uh, anxious people and depressed people and isolated people and hurting people and sick people. They'd come to him and say, Lord, you got a minute? I mean, you got just, can you touch me? Can you just talk to me? And he always did. And I think it's a neat thing that Matthew says uh, this about the whole process. He said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He didn't have judgment on the crowd. He didn't have superiority over the crowd. He didn't have disdain over the crowd. He had love for the crowd because that's what Jesus was all about. He was concerned about people's conditions. He looked into their lives. He didn't see some kid that was acting up. He saw a poor orphan boy that had been taught any different. He didn't see some evil woman on the street. He saw a woman who was forced into prostitution or she would have starved to death. He saw a Pharisee who wanted desperately to do the right thing, but he'd been listening to the wrong people. He saw a guy who wanted to love God, just didn't know how. He saw a Roman soldier that everybody else hated. He saw people that everybody else ignored. He saw a rich young ruler who everybody thought had it together, but he saw his heart. He had compassion on them because they were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They were living in a Babylonian philosophy, and it was hard for them to deal with it. Does that remind you of anything? That's us. He saw a group of people who were helpless before the power of sin around them and the power of sin within them. He actually saw people as sheep without a shepherd. And so he did what he always did. He healed them. He took care of their problems. And then, listen to me, then he spoke the truth of God's Word. As painful as that could be, he spoke it in love to everyone, which is actually amazing good news. The good news that everybody right now can be part of God's kingdom, even people who didn't think they would qualify. Because of God's grace, sin could actually be forgiven. Guilt could be wiped out. Our idols could be taken away. And that with Jesus, we can actually live in Babylon and not become part of it. 
Did you hear me? With Jesus' family, we can live in this mess around us and not become part of it. With Jesus, we can be happy with who we are and quit listening to all the nonsense about changing who we are. With Jesus, we can be happy with what we have and quit chasing all the other stuff around us that don't give us anything anyway. With Jesus, we can have a rich, full life that He intended and quit letting the enemy steal from us. It was true then and it's true for us now. You and I can start every day with a fresh understanding that His new mercies are new every day. We can go every, every night, we can go to bed understanding that God's watching over us. We can, we can be resting assured that we have a whole family to take care of us. The family of God, right here, your family. We can be inspired and led by the Spirit daily. We can have a purpose for our life. We can look for eternity when we're done. I mean, when the Bible talks about the gospel being good news, it ain't just Whitsell and Dixie. Amen? Don't make me call Jeremy up here. Amen? Yeah, yeah. I, and I think it's also interesting that Matthew said Jesus was going to all the towns and villages. I mean, did you look back in history? I mean, some of those villages just had a few people in them. And, and the idea is here, the scale of human need was so overwhelming while Jesus was here that he'd go anywhere he had to to fix it. And then one day, Jesus came to his disciples and he said something, paraphrased, that I've heard Popeye the sailor say over a hundred times in my lifetime. He says, that's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. I can't stand seeing all these people without God. I can't stand seeing all these people in isolation and pain. I can't stand seeing all this depression, all this anxious living, all this sickness. I can't stand it. We've got to do something. It's time for us to remind ourselves that even though our community is so strong and so powerful, it's not just about us. It's about them. We've got to quit looking at ourselves and start looking at other people. We are in the middle of a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. And I think he'd say the exact same thing to us today, wouldn't he? Yeah. When I worked at Indianapolis Power and Light, I had, I had one friend there who, I mean, he's still a real close friend, who I just could not get him to click. You know, I worked and worked and worked. In fact, I had a lot of people like that at IPL, so many, that the last time I heard myself say this out loud, well, I had six baptisms while I was at IPL which I just heard myself say a couple weeks ago. I don't even know what the context was. The last time I heard myself say that out loud, I was sickened by it. By how many people I left on the table at Indianapolis Paranoid. And this particular friend of mine was a good man. He, was a, he, he, he did a lot of good things, but he wasn't a godly man. You know what I mean? He didn't know Jesus at all. And we talked, and he, he didn't want it, and we talked, and he didn't want it. And because of that... Just like the rest of us, he did some not-so-godly things, and the only difference is he didn't have an advocate to stand in for him with the bad and the sin in his life. Now, this is the guy that I told you about. I just looked it up. It's been four years ago because my mom was here, and she, it ticked her off. This is the guy who had the phrase, well, I'll be go to hell. Oh, my, it made my mom so mad. But he'd say something, and he'd say, well, I'll go to hell. And it was, we laughed at that because we thought that was so funny. And one time I was talking to him about Jesus, and he, he'd always start doing this. He's, You're thumping again. I thought we were talking just about, oh, I'll be go to hell, he said. Now, that's three times I said that. My mom would let me have it. But I remember uh, it hit me that day, and I said, man, I love you, Richard, but you could be go to hell. I mean, if you don't find Jesus Christ in your life... You could be go to hell. Do, do you know anybody like that in your life? Because as far as I know, he never did come to Jesus. 
I buried his mom about five years ago, and he still wasn't coming to the Lord. Do you know anybody like that right now? In your life, in your family? Jesus looked at everybody like that. That's what drove him. That was his mission. I mean, certainly he wanted people to have food. And he wanted them to have money. And he wanted widows and orphans to be taken care of. And he wanted mercy and he wanted justice. But more than anything else, Jesus wanted to gather a harvest of restored, redeemed people into the kingdom of God. That's what he was here for. And when he walked this planet, the harvest was overwhelming. But he didn't have any workers at all. You guys know what you get when you cross an elephant with a box of laxatives? <laughs> I tell you, you better get out of the way is what you better get. You know? And that's from Melvin, by the way. It came right out of the book you gave me. Melvin's here, and he needs some prayer today. And that's the way it was with Jesus. You understand? Everybody got out of the way and let him do all the work. And Jesus was teaching his disciples and us that if we don't have workers available, the harvest will never be gathered. If we don't have workers... I'll be going to hell will be said by a lot of people. So what do we do about that? Well, that leads to point number two. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. Remember, it's his harvest. He's the hound of heaven. Jesus said one time, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. So Jesus said, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers unto the harvest. And again, he said, send out workers, not consultants, Not experts, not fuzzy-faced preachers, not supervisors, spectators, consumers, not VIPs or CEOs or MBAs. Let's send out workers. Let's ask God to send out workers. Uh, Family, what's a worker do? There you go. I thought maybe we didn't have any blue-collar people in here. Workers work. And Jesus talked a lot about that. He said, I must do the work the Father has sent me to do. As long as it's called today, Jesus said. I must do the work of him who sent me. And and the work is simple. Any of us could do it. You just notice, you listen, you come alongside, you witness the truth of the Bible in a loving way, you serve, you give. And they prayed and they prayed and they said, Lord, please send people on earth. And, And he answered the prayer. He sent the very people that were praying for the workers. It was amazing. That Jesus had this wonderful drive and mission, and then he invited these people to come. What a privilege. I love what John Ortberg says. Jesus didn't start a church and give it a mission. He started a mission, and then he started the church. And I think if we don't remind ourselves of this once in a while, we sing songs like we opened up with today, and that's all we do is sing them. We forget about what this church is really about. You know, we have a mission department here. You know, we send money out to the missions, and every now and then, Double D Junior or Senior will send a mission team out, and they'll do something around like that. But most of all, we're just a church, you know? And there's nothing wrong with the great things we're doing here. You know, we've we got a great children's program and a great youth program and wonderful singing, and we have VBS and all that kind of stuff. But it can't end there. That's not the church Jesus had in mind. <laughs> he didn't start a church and give it a mission. He started a mission and gave it a church. And we got to remember that. Big difference. Years ago, David Platt wrote about a ship that the, that the United States Army was putting together. It was called the USS United States. It, it was uh, the first of its kind. It was built to take 15,000 soldiers as a troop carrier farther and faster than ever before without stopping for food or for fuel. It was a great deal, but the problem is when they got it built... 
They never used it for that because it was such an amazing deal. They started transporting heads of state, high-ranking military personnel, and celebrities. It contained 600 staterooms, four dining rooms, um, three bars and two theaters, and was the first ship ever to be fully air-conditioned. So the mission was to take troops. It never did at one time. It's pretty obvious that's a sad deal, right? Man, you guys are sound asleep. Do you, do you, know, what you, do you know what you call an obvious cow? Predictable. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give you an easy one. Ash, this is an easy one. What do you call an obvious bear? That'd be a panda. <laughs> anyway, it's obvious when something has a mission and, and it doesn't succeed in the mission that it's a sad deal. It's a real sad deal when it happens to the church. And I think sometimes it does. And we need to remind ourselves, South Union Christian Church, that we're not a ship to transport troops. And go from one location to the next location and the next location and be all about ourselves. We're a church with a mission. We got a job to do. It kind of makes you wonder what Jesus would do if he was here today. Now, I know he's here, Matthew 18. Anytime two or three meet together, he shows up in a real powerful way. But what if he was here today in bodily form? And after church, he, we all went for a walk to the villages and surrounding towns of Bloomington and Ellettsville and Spencer and Bedford and Stanford and some of these. Do you think after walking around with Jesus for a couple, three hours, he would look at us and say, mission complete, well done, South Union. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think he'd do that because I, I'm afraid what he'd see I think he'd see more spiritual confusion than he's ever seen. I think he'd see more families broken and and marriages struggling than ever before. I think he'd see more babies out of wedlock than ever before. I think he'd see more addictions than ever before because that's what we're seeing. I think he'd see more confused young kids today as we try to tell them what they should be instead of what they are than ever before. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to go crazy on this thing, but I don't understand this gender business. I don't know what the end game in with us. I know that there's a kindergarten teaching it in, in California to our kindergartners. I don't get it. But I'm telling you, if you're confused with it at all, I invite you to read Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Get alone with God and ask him to explain that to you. Now, you can read it in Hebrew and transliterate it to English, or you can go from Hebrew to, to Greek and then to English. But however you do it, you're going to come up with the same thing, and it is this. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him male and female. He created them, period. Period. I'm done with the soapbox. Yeah. I think he'd see a lot of confused children today because of that. I'm afraid that he'd see a lot of confused young women who are told today what significance and beauty really is when it's not the truth. Real beauty is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's from the inside out, and you'll see it in a woman like this right here. It just continues to grow. It continues to grow. I'm afraid he'll see a lot of young men and old men addicted to online pornography like never before. I'm afraid he'd run into neighborhood after neighborhood full of people who are worried about paying their bills with this inflation business. I'm afraid he'd run into a lot of college kids that wonder if they're going to get a job and be able to pay off their student loans. I think he'd run into a lot of high school kids that wonder if there's any future for them at all. I'm afraid he'd run into a lot of scared retirees and workaholic parents 
And lots and lots and lots and lots of fear. People are afraid of everything today. They're afraid of the economy. They're afraid of cancer. They're afraid of China. They're afraid of being alone. But you know what he'd see in the midst of all this? He'd see his church. He'd see a lot of powerful churches doing a lot of powerful things because there's nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Nothing like it. And there's nothing like this church. I'll tell you, in 34 years, I've seen you people do some amazing things. I've seen you rise up and take care of the youth group and the children's group every time they had a need. A a playground, a short bus, 80 volunteers for VVS this year. 80 volunteers. We only had 120 kids. I've watched you take food to people who are sick. I've watched you pray over people who've lost loved ones. I've watched you visit people who are sick and in the nursing homes. I've seen you help people move from one house to another. I've seen you give people money. I've watched this praise team week after week when people come in here with garbage on their shoulders. Within five minutes, you guys have us to the throne of the king of the universe. I have never seen a praise team spirit-filled like this one here. And I sit at the table every Wednesday morning with four of the most godly men I've ever met who have the best hearts I've ever, ever seen. And I've watched you people root for each other and pray for each other. I've seen great things. There's nothing like the church. There's nothing like this church. And if Jesus were speaking to us this morning, he would remind us, I want you to see the towns and the communities around here the way I see them. Lost, harassed, confused, like sheep without a shepherd. And I want you to tell them the truth. I don't want you to judge them. I don't want you to tell them to shape up. I don't want you to tell them to name it or claim it or win it or scold it. I want you to tell them the truth of the gospel of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and tell them not to back down. And then one last thing. He tells us to do it. We just need to do it. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this this morning. Let's say it's Friday night opening IU uh, football game. And we're all there. The stadium would be packed. I think it's against Illinois. And so the game starts, and here comes Coach Allen leading the team out. By the way, his wife calls him an evangelist disguised as a football coach. That man and his wife are doing things for the Lord on that college campus that would blow your mind. They're winning kids to the Lord left and right, and that's their top priority. Um, We need to pray for them, by the way, constantly. But anyway, he leads the team out, and we play the game, and everybody says, great game. And we've, we've come down to the last five seconds, and we're on the five-yard line of Illinois, and it's a tied game. All we've got to do is kick a field goal, and we know we're going to win it. So here comes the team. They all come out on the field, and we're all cheering and hollering, and they make their huddle. You know how they do their all huddle up? They break the huddle, and then they just take off for the locker room. They go and change their clothes, take a shower, change their clothes, go get in the car and go home. And you're sitting there. How do you feel? Shocked. Cheated. Flabbergasted. Probably a little mad. How, how do you think the world and our community feels when they see church after church gather on Sunday morning, huddle up, get all fired up, and then break the huddle, go get in their cars and go home and never do a thing about it? Pray unto the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the harvest field that's never been bigger than it is right now. 
Tell them about the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Tell them the only hope they have is a rich, full life in Him. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of who you are. Thank you for sending us to the church. Thank you for this church. What a group of people. I ask you to continue to bless this place and anoint this place. Open up our hearts and minds to use us to the glory of the kingdom. And we pray it in your name.